Amy and I will continue through this fall, both preaching a brief homily each Sunday. We're looking at the Old Testament text and the New Testament text and looking for some connections. Today, we're thinking about leadership. We're thinking about those who have gone before us. We're wondering what Jesus might have learned from the stories of ancient Israel about leaders and leadership, how he learned his understanding of what it means to be a leader. Hear this text now from the book of Joshua. The Lord said to Joshua, This day I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, so that they may know that I will be with you as I was with Moses. You are the one who shall command the priests who bear the Ark of the Covenant. When you come to the edge of the waters of the Jordan, you you shall stand still in the Jordan. And Joshua said to the Israelites, So now select twelve men from the tribes of Israel. One from each tribe. When the soles of the feet of the priest who bear the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, rest in the waters of the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan flowing from above shall be cut off. And the feet of the priest bearing the ark were dipped in the edge of the water, and the waters flowing from above stood still, rising up in a single heap. And then the people crossed over opposite Jericho. You have heard the ancient story. I suppose every family has one. In our family, Granny Phillips carries legendary status. My mother's mother was a large woman. Years after her death, she remains larger than life. She had a big laugh. She had a big heart. She had a big kitchen. My grandmother had probably eaten 100 pounds of lard in her life. And just like the doctor said it would, all that southern frying killed her when she was about 97 years old. (laughs) After surviving the Great Depression, she married and moved from Georgia in search of work in Joanna, South Carolina. She and my grandfather raised a family on the meager rations they earned toiling every day in that textile mill. He worked as a carpenter on the side. She cooked and sewed. After he died, while she had never flown, at about 75 years of age, she got on a plane bound for Santiago, Chile, to visit her daughter. And she might have been 80 years old when she made her own bikini swimsuit. She might have weighed 300 pounds when she made that bikini swimsuit, but she made it to go out on the beach and take one fun picture with her granddaughters. Not recognizing her mother's sense of humor, Granny quickly received a disapproving letter from the Southern Baptist missionary serving in Santiago, Chile. (laughs) She worked, she laughed, she loved, she lived. She was real. I knew her. I can still see her. I can hear her voice. I can still feel those big hands. But there is something more. Her legend lives on in our family. In quiet ways, she is still leading us. Her life now is even bigger than she was. Those who go on before us, all those who go on before us, have that potential. For Corrine Ressi Adair Phillips, Thanks be to God. Today's story from the book of Joshua is more complicated than it may appear, and we have abbreviated it far too much. Go back and read the whole story. 
I don't have time for an exposition of the text, but let me give you a glimpse of its complexity. The story introduces Joshua, Israel's new leader after the death of Moses. As they enter the promised land, the first obstacle is crossing the Jordan River. But gathering 12 Levitical priests, Joshua has them walk down and stand in the Jordan. And when their feet touch the river, the waters part and the people cross on dry land. Have you heard that story before? It is a recapitulation of the crossing of the sea, Moses parting the waters as the Israelites crossed safely ahead of Pharaoh's encroaching army. And this same motif is found also in the book of 2 Kings as God prepares to give the prophetic mantle of Elijah to his successor, Elisha. As the two of them come to the Jordan River, Elijah takes off his literal mantle, rolls it up and strikes the Jordan with it and the water parts and they cross on dry ground. In the Christian scriptures, these three crossings all come together in the writings of Mark who begins his gospel with Jesus stepping into the Jordan River. Jesus, whose Hebrew name is Yeshua, Joshua. Jesus is baptized by John, who is regarded in Christian tradition as a kind of new Elijah, whose return the ancient Jews expected as a precursor to the coming of the Messiah. Beautifully weaving together three Hebrew narratives for a Christian community, the message of Mark is clear. There is a new Joshua. The people have a new Messiah who will lead us through the valley of the shadow of death. Now in time, as you know, crossing the Jordan becomes a metaphor for death, crossing over from this life to the next. Mark's writing is beautiful literature. His message should be clearly theological. No matter the obstacles, Jesus will clear the way for us. Now, looking back, if today's story has the feel of a legend, it probably should. These stories, too obviously literary just to be taken as simple history, they all affirm with symbolic and spiritual clarity where there is no way, when there is no way, God makes a way. With Pharaoh's army closing in, with our backs against the wall, when there is no way forward, God makes a way. And that way does not just come by dint of divine intervention. The stories may be legend, but the leaders are legendary. Going before us, our ancestors make the way. They create a path. They part the waters of conflict and compromise and point us to God, who stands always before us, beckoning a new direction. So on this All Saints Sunday, for those who have gone before us, for legendary leaders, thanks be to God. Today, tomorrow, forever, may it be so. Amen. And from Matthew's Gospel. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. Therefore, do whatever they teach you and follow it. 
but do not do as they do, for they do not practice what they teach. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on the shoulders of others, but they themselves are unwilling to lift a finger to move those heavy burdens. The text goes on there to talk about how these leaders uh, exalt themselves, and then Jesus cuts to the chase. The greatest among you will be your servant. All who exalt themselves will be humbled, and all who humble themselves will be exalted. You've heard the ancient story. Keep the law, follow the commandments, listen to the spiritual, of gi spiritual giants of faith like Moses, but don't do it the way these yahoos are doing it. That is the Amy Jacks Dean translation of this Matthew text. Jesus makes no bones about it. The current leaders, the scribes and Pharisees, they have the right message, but they don't live it. In other words, do what they say, but not what they do. They were so busy pawning off the responsibilities and burdens of the life of faith and their role in leadership to others, not carrying the load and heaping the difficult things on the shoulders of someone else, all the while exalting themselves, not getting their hands dirty and not getting their hearts broken. For another. I'm pretty convinced that deep down, most of the time, we know what is right. And most often, I think that's what we teach our children, at least with lip service. Trying to ingrain in them the difference in right and wrong, how to act and be in the world as a good person. But then we often do not put into practice what we deep down believe is right and true and good. Why are we like this? I think it's because we know to be right and good and true is hard work. It's not self-serving work. We know what is right and true and good is most often about the other. And everything in our culture is bent towards self and pretty much the only place where we are reminded of the deep down right, true, and good message is right here. This is the place we gather to be reminded of the truth of the message of Jesus. The greatest among you will be the servant. All who exalt themselves will be humbled, and all who humble themselves will be exalted. It's funny, almost every single time I say that in practicing this morning, it comes out, all who exalt themselves will be humbled, and all who humble themselves will be exhausted. I've said it three times today, practicing this, because it's true. You're going to be exhausted if you do this. I'm afraid, though, that it's easy to fall prey to the old story of those scribes and Pharisees about spending more time and energy on our own self-interests. 
one blogger that I read notes, of all the things that concerns me about the church and the Christian faith today, the thing that scares me the most is the foundation of selfishness that has become a core principle in the church. It's as if, he says, that what Jesus wants us to be centrally concerned with is finding more and more ways for us to be happy, successful, and just become a better you. Moral therapeutic deism is what Kenda Creasy Dean calls it, and the text today says that Jesus will have none of that. I think God does want that for us, happiness, success, being all that God created us to be. I just think the way we go about it matters. Time and time again in our Bible, we learn that our happiness and our fulfillment will come when we take care of each other. When we put the needs of others as primary when we feed the hungry and clothe the naked and give shelter to the houseless, when we speak up and speak out for those that have no voice, when we use our position and privilege to advocate for those that are powerless, when we take casserole and cake to the sick, when we offer a ride to the doctor, when we sit with someone being infused with the healing toxin of chemo, when we make the call, or send the text or mail the card to simply say, I'm thinking of you and trusting that that is all the prayer that anyone ever really needs. When we show up and sit in silence with a box of Kleenex because someone is going through a terrible time and there is absolutely nothing you can do to change it or fix it or make it better. And so you just sit and do nothing except sit. Aren't y'all wanting to get your phone out right now and sign up for something, to do something? Don't you feel compelled to live beyond yourself? It's in these times that we will find our happiness and our success as we are constantly becoming who God created us to be. If you don't believe me, give it a try this afternoon. Just see if you don't feel better about yourself, about the world, about the sacred goodness of how we move about in this world together as holy community. Honestly, it's just about the only reason that I still believe in and do church, because I believe we're in this together. These are the ways that we carry one another's burdens. And in so doing, we fulfill the law of Christ. Jesus says they tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on the shoulders of another. No, we tie up heavy burdens and put them on our own backs and carry them for one another. Carry one another's burdens, and in so doing, you will fulfill the law of Christ. This one verse from Galatians has saved my life. Sure, the surgery to remove the cancer helped, 
and I'm very grateful for doctors who can do that. But equally important are those who carried and continue to carry the burden with me. And sometimes what we fear most happens. Our person doesn't get well. The marriage ends. Forgiveness isn't offered or received. The treatment doesn't work. The estrangement is never reconciled. And in those times, we need someone to carry that burden with us as well. The greatest among you will be your servant. All who exalt themselves will be humbled, and all who humble themselves will be exhausted and exalted. For when I am carrying your burden, I can only do it because I know that you are carrying mine. All Saints Sunday is a perfect day to consider these things. And it's a perfect day to carry the burden of grief alongside those whose pain is both sharp and deep. This is how we grieve, together. The funeral was but a first ritual of remembrance. As we read the names of those who have gone before us in this place, it's an opportunity to remember them and consider all the ways they helped us carry our burdens, not just here, but in their families and in their workplaces and in the community and in the world. So let us practice what we preach in this place. As individuals and as a community of faith, carrying one another's burdens and fulfilling the law of Christ. May it be so. Amen.